0: Hey and welcome back to Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. It's the podcast where I sit down with somebody who's lived a truly extraordinary life. Jamila Jamil could be described in all sorts of ways. An actress, TV presenter, an activist, writer and self-proclaimed feminist in progress to name just a few. One thing we do know though is she's hardworking and ambitious and able to turn those ambitions into a reality. Having begun her broadcast career on t four, she soon got noticed by Radio One before leaving for a life in Los Angeles and landing a role in the Emmy nominated sitcom The Good Place with no acting experience at all. alongside all of that, she's used her growing platform to tackle toxic and unrealistic beauty standards and launched her iway podcast earlier this year. She's certainly a force to be reckoned with. Jamila Jamil joins me today. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Good, I haven't seen you in bloody years. Do you know, it's funny, because I was thinking, when did I last see you, right? And like, I grew up watching you on T4, so I, I'm I'm actually older than you, I'm nearly 37, and you're 34, is that right? Yeah. So I remember watching you on T4, and I always remember about you, um, red lipstick, and like a little rhinestone by your eye, do you remember? Oh my God
1: it wasn't a rhinestone it was even more embarrassing I did it for so many years as well I don't know what I was thinking I wore a like a a gold star that I got from Ryman's it was a Ryman sticker (laughs) the kind of star you put on like a child's homework and I wore that on the side of my face even in Vogue I insisted on having my little sticker my stationery on my face
0: that's quite so unique. Dumb. That's quite cool. Well, I mean, it worked. You remembered me. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's how I remembered you. And then it must have been about 11 years ago, right? And I, I'd just done my first documentary with Channel 4 and I was a contributor, member of the public. And it was those awful drinks they do in the auditorium where yeah. it's like talent, production, Channel 4 people, and everyone's like talking to you over your shoulder to look for the most important person to network with. And yeah. I remember I saw you and I was like, oh, my God, it's this hair of T4. I grew up like watching her. I was like, she's so pretty. She's so tall. And I, I remember being like quite starstruck. And I think that is the last time I saw you.
1: No way. I think we've seen each other at some of those wank off events as well. I'm sure. I think we've got pictures together, but I've always been a massive fan of yours. So I was thrilled when you asked me to be on your podcast.
0: Ah, well it's funny because my first question was, was gonna be around thinking you know somebody because obviously you talk a lot on your platforms, you know, outside of your actual job of acting, you're you're very vocal and you're a straight shooter, you're very direct. So sometimes that makes you feel like you know that person, but really yeah. until you know, until you've spent time with somebody, you don't. Um But when I was researching your career, I thought, gosh, you've made a lot of bold moves in quite a kind of shallow industry. Um, where fear kind of rules a lot of people. So do you think it's fair to describe you as fearless? Yeah,
1: I think that's fair. Uh, I'm afraid of hurting people's feelings. So when I fuck up, that makes me feel terrible. But generally, I don't have anything to lose. I think I've always found quite a lot of glory in failure. (laughs) <laughs> so really? I think yeah I think that failure is really cool because it means that you were willing to try when success wasn't guaranteed and mm-hmm. I don't think that we especially not the british I think we look at failure as this very embarrassing uh, taboo thing and that just seems so stupid to me to me the only kind of real failure there is is not trying at all because how are we supposed to know what we're really capable of especially women when we're mm-hmm. told we're capable of nothing how are we going to find out what our actual actual boundaries are if we don't try so, you know, I think I've just got a big fuck it bucket and I chuck everything in it. And and that's why I shift around from career to career to career and I think that's why I'm so like balls to the wall when it comes to the th- the way that I speak publicly.
0: Okay, because I was wondering like when you left London for LA, like you were successful here. It wasn't like you were seeking um You know, new opportunities because you didn't have any. And people can be, um, because other people are scared, they can be quite pessimistic about those that do kind of reach beyond um, what some people would see as reality. So, did you have any kind of doubters when you did it, being like, you're not going to make it? Why are you doing that?
1: Everyone laughed at me, and other people were just worried about me. And to be fair, like my mental health wasn't in the most amazing places, and I was, you know, I was definitely overcoming. Uh, severe anxiety and depression but by the time I wanted to leave I was I was pretty together and I think mostly people just thought I was going to disappear without a trace Mm. and that I was too old at 28 to start again in a new country and I was too like you know they didn't really they don't really have still a lot of South Asians in mainstream Hollywood and you know I think you know people people aren't sure that I'm not Riz Ahmed um because there are so (laughs) few of us here um and uh and they told me that, you know, I was also too fat because I was a size UK 12. And, you know, you're supposed to be the sort of Hollywood size zero. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that all sounded very reductive. And I wasn't particularly interested in being a, on TV ever again anyway. I just Why wanted to come here, live here. Oh, because I think I was a bit sick of TV at that point. You know, I was sick of, I mean, it's so ironic considering what's now happened. But I was sick of being judged on the way that mm-hmm. I looked because people would often not let me do funny or fun or interesting things because they thought I was just a fashion girl.
0: Mm -hmm. Do you know what? It's really interesting because it's that kind of opposite thing of actually being beautiful can be really problematic um, because there's, there's other judgments with beauty that you've got limitations, that your life's easy.
1: Yeah, I think especially for women, I think if you are deemed societally attractive, you know, for a man if you're handsome, it just, like, adds to the bonus of the fact that, oh, you're smart and handsome, but if mm-hmm. a woman is, you know, and also it comes with it's also, it also comes with an amount of privilege that is hard to deny, you know, so you, mm-hmm. you can maybe get a certain type of job because of your looks, but then you can't go beyond that because yeah. then that's all you can do. You're pigeonholed. It's just one type of thing. And they wanted me so desperately just to be Alexa Chung, and I, mm-hmm. I tried for, like, nine <laughs> months, <laughs> and then I I don't, I don't, like, Uh, the feeling of brogues on my feet. I'm (laughs) flat-footed. It didn't suit me. You're tall, you're you're (laughs) (laughs) tall. No, I know. No, I just, it was really that I didn't have as much of an interest as I think she did in, like, the fashion it girl uh, Mm. girl culture. And that's fine. That's cool. And she nailed that. But I wanted to make documentaries. I wanted to be an activist. Like, I I had so much more that I wanted to do and participate in so that I could be allowed to fully like spread my wings. And in England, it's very hard to do that because you get very, very pigeonholed. And it's a small place, mm-hmm. it's a very small industry. And it's run by sort of the same five people. Yeah. And once they decide who you are, which happens almost immediately, that's it. And you mm-hmm. stay like that. And so I think in America, I was just like, maybe I'll be a writer. Maybe I'll be a comedian. Maybe I'll do, I could do maybe anything I want if I go here. And maybe mm-hmm. nothing will happen and I will come back with my, you know, quote, unquote, tail between my legs. But I won't consider it that because I'll at least have tried, which so few people in the world actually do.
0: Mm-hmm. How long were you there until um, you landed this kind of amazing role in The Good Place?
1: Uh, I think it was like six months.
0: Wow, okay, not in long.
1: Sanchez. Yeah, it was ridiculous. It was an insane run of luck. I'm not popular with any other actress here because of that story. But <laughs> it, was my, it was my first ever audition. And so I, you know, it is absurd that I landed that role. But I think because, again, I had high hopes, low expectations. I was so chilled in the interview and the auditions that I, you know, because I was like, this is so preposterous. Obviously, they're not going to give me this job. This is just going to make for a really funny column in Cosmo because that's what <laughs> I was doing at the time. I was a columnist talking about my life in L.A. And, uh, and then they gave me the fucking job. And I was signed on a seven year deal in America. No, and they gave me a years. visa. Yeah. And they gave me a visa and it was like, you know, more money than I'd ever seen. And it was the opportunity to stand opposite one of my heroes, Ted Danson, all day, every day for a summer. And it wasn't even just a pilot. We were picked up immediately to series. So it was like, that's it.
0: I'm Mm going to spend six months
1: learning how to act from Ted Danson. (laughs) So dumb.
0: See, this is like when you go on a date with someone and you're like, they won't fancy me, they won't fancy me, and you're just mm-hmm. so laid back, and then they end up fancying you because you're not desperate, and it's like this confidence that you didn't know you had, maybe?
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm, um, I, I totally resonate with that, and I, I truly think the fact that I don't put any pressure on myself to achieve anything... Uh, means that I've actually weirdly been able to achieve so much more than I would ever have maybe done so had I put loads of pressure on myself. Had I had this kind of five-year, ten-year plan in my head, I would have missed all these amazing opportunities, those ridiculous and daft things that I've done that have come in via the periphery. So I really mm-hmm. hope that anyone listening to this, you know, don't... I mean, if any if any year has taught us that plans don't matter, it's this year
0: anything Mm -hmm, can change
1: you know 17 walking across the road and my well I wasn't even walking across the road I was walking down the pavement ran away from a bee and ran into the road got hit by one car into another car broke my back was in bed for like a year and then on zero frame for like another six months so life can change on you like that and I think therefore you should just stay open stay flexible and Mm. and believe that there is more to you than you know so far
0: so that's a pretty traumatic experience. I mean, how you were seventeen, right? So mm. how long did it take you to kind of not just physically recover, but psychologically recover from that?
1: I was fine. It didn't impact me at all. I was on morphine for loads of that time, and actually, that was really great. I just watched TV, ate coat. Do you remember those massive coat door ice creams? Yeah, I used to eat a tub of that a day, just yeah. in front of the <laughs> TV, uh, on just off my tits on morphine. So actually. I- <laughs> I don't really have traumatic uh, a traumatic story about that or complaints but I will say that it did change my life in a couple of ways which is that one I stopped starving myself because I started to develop a newfound respect for my body because mm-hmm. once you you know once we don't have what we had before then we start to recognize how lucky we were and so yeah. I don't take that for granted and I also think that I was so lonely in that year because I didn't have any visitors. And I, you know, I, I lived Why didn't you them. have
0: any visitors?
1: Because I wasn't super popular at school, as in at all popular at school, and I didn't really have mates. And then also my family were going through a lot of mental health issues of their own, so no one was mm-hmm. hanging out with me. So I was basically alone in a room for about a year, watching TV 24 hours a day. And I think that's how I instinctively knew how to host and how to uh, mm-hmm. act is because i absorbed it by osmosis i didn't realize i must have just been studying
0: mm-hmm. and how that happened on a show.
1: yeah because i got t4 i got scouted in a pub for t4 and then i went and did the audition and a week and a half later started live on channel four having no media training never ever so tried no or stage wanted... school there's nothing, nothing. like that. Nothing. no nothing i had been in a couple of school plays between the age of six and nine and that was it i put my dreams of any kind of show woman uh down, mm-hmm. but I think, I don't know. I, I think I must've just, I knew exactly what to do when I stood in front of that camera.
0: I knew how well, to hit my marks. Is,
1: it was so weird.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess you know it sounds really cliché to say that your experience is character building, but you know, with trauma, it either destroys us or, like you're talking about, it transforms us into somebody we didn't know, didn't know existed inside us.
1: Well, you became a role model for our entire generation. So you, Do you took think what happened? Yes you took what happened to you and you turned into a role model for our generation. You're an amazing host. You're an amazing, uh, interviewer. You're just a wonderful, important figure that like I would, I will always, I will always remember you
0: You made such an impact
1: on, on me and, and all of us. And so, you know, I think that, I think that it's, I don't think everyone should be expected to turn their trauma into gold you know or into no because it's
0: not realistic yeah. and and also it's actually not the root of happiness for everybody anyway just because 100%. It is for, <laughs> for some people you know um yeah. I'm thinking of you like at that point because obviously when you have a, an accident like that you know you you your body becomes such a big focus in in a negative way and then obviously yeah. you went on to do modeling and how how difficult was that because it's seeing in your body in lots of different ways and your body's serving you in different ways and when you become a model you kind of on the plate for criticism, uninvited opinion, and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really become a model
1: model, thank God. You know, when I was 16, I sort of dabbled. I got signed, but I never actually mm-hmm. booked a job because I couldn't get down to size zero. I was always a two, and that was considered too big, even at 5'10", which is insane. Wow. Um, uh, but I... Um, but I, I, when I started kind of doing fashion magazines and whatever, it was as an ambassador because I was already a TV host, so I was already a personality. Mm-hmm. And thank God, right. because therefore they have to accommodate your size. Mm-hmm. So it definitely yeah. still triggered me and photo shoots and sample sizes are all fucked, but... I uh, I am glad that I didn't have to go through the experience of just have someone having a measuring tape and shouting at me every single week. I think Did being you ever model- have
0: like the face to face stuff at um, shoots and stuff there where people would like, you know, stylists or photographers where they'd actively shame you and, and say things or anything like that?
1: Uh I don't think I had anyone actively shame me because I mean that's the also the gross difference between being a celebrity and being a model is that you have power, so everyone mm-hmm. is you know too busy rimming you um but i but there was definitely that sort of like there was this insidious disappointment that would come out in them if I couldn't fit into a tiny sample size that they'd gotten after my size had already been sent to them a month in advance so they know how big I am and mm. they still don't and then they make me feel bad for not getting into some baby gap fucking dungarees <laughs> like <Literally, yeah>. <laughs> so <laughs> I it's uh, ridiculous it's so dumb and so you know really for the first time ever after I weigh I weigh the, my I weigh movement has really like changed my life not just I thought I would, like, I'd help everyone else, but actually that didn't happen. They saved me. And I was at a photo shoot, uh, recently, not even recently, like, sorry, like a year ago, this year has gone by so fast. Um, <laughs> and I couldn't get this dress on and it exploded at my ass, just exploded open. To oh, down it the made scene. like a, yeah. a pop and a bang that they heard <laughs> across the studio. And I didn't feel mortified for the first time ever. I was like, "No, not shame on me, shame on you." That's why the powerful. fuck Why the fuck did you bring me this dress? Mm-hmm. Why would mm-hmm. you bring me a, a, a runway sample when I'm a size 12?
0: Yeah fuck, yeah.
1: fuck off And so I was I was
0: thrilled that I split that dress wide open. And I was like, <laughs> send it back to the designer as a fucking lesson. I mean it's amazing iWay for anyone that doesn't know what it is. Um it's literally something totally separate to your career. It's not that you did for free. Um, you know, it started on Twitter, is that right?
1: Yeah, I just tweeted one day what iWay because I kept on seeing all these images on social media, namely Instagram, just saying that um I uh, you know it, you'd have these pictures of these really famous celebrities, like very powerful businesswomen entrepreneurs and pop stars who'd won loads of awards. And the only number they would write across their body isn't their net worth, isn't how many awards they won, how many, you know, I don't know, records they've broken. It was just how much they weigh in kilograms. And I was like, fucking hell, even in 2018, we Mm -hmm. still decide a woman's entire worth on a weighing scale, not in all of the things that she's contributed to her society or to her life and to her community, This is, this is what I believed when I was 12 and 20 years later, it's still the exact messaging from the patriarchy and women believe it. So I just posted like, well, I weigh my orgasms and my financial independence (laughs) and my activism and my relationship and my friendships. I weigh the sum of my motherfucking parts. And it just seemed to strike a chord amongst like this generation because I, it went so viral all around the world that I've never, I've never seen anything like it in my career for me personally, where, I mean, I've got 10,000 posts that were similar back to me from women all around the world. So I, I panicked and I started this Instagram account thinking, well, this probably won't last very long, but I should put these up because they're a really beautiful reminder of how pissed off everyone is. Mm-hmm. And so I put all of these very personal, meaningful posts up on Instagram and, and, Here we are two years later, we grow 100,000 a week. We're at 1.3 million. It's a full movement. It's no longer just about body image. It's about the whole spectrum of mental health and shame and marginalized communities. And we have a podcast, a YouTube channel. We've changed a global policy around the world for Facebook and Instagram. We're working with other major platforms. I'm about to go after TikTok really soon. So watch out for that. Um, Why why is that? Tell me about that. Because they're dieting and fasting apps consistently Mm -hmm. they're just like so you see like a a stunning skinny like 15 year old and then straight after that comes a fasting or dieting app and Mm -hmm. the algorithm is so smart they just like shame you shame you shame you (laughs) and then starve you starve you starve you and then also we're changing a couple of laws in the United States at the moment so I way grew into from what was just a kind of moment of rage turned into (laughs) probably the most gratifying part of my entire career
0: it's amazing really isn't it because the only motivation was to empower other people it wasn't about yeah. getting in a campaign or getting on Mm-mm. a tv show or anything you know you already had that so you didn't have to do this one of the things i wondered right was i'd love to be this direct but like i'm too much of a wet weed about it and mm-hmm. i remember when i saw you call out the kardashians and all these other people that were promoting like laxatives and and all these kind of things that we know they don't use we know they've got implants we know how their body's created and the media are obsessed with saying they've made a curvy trend and you're like it's not a curvy trend no. it's, a, it's a man-made body that is this a fashion that they've created really more than anything
1: yeah and it's an aesthetic that they've stolen from black women as
0: well right exactly yeah. and why i was like well she's actually a hollywood star though surely she bumps into these people on the red carpet like do you come face to face with them and if you do how does that go down
1: uh i mean i don't, I don't think i've seen many of them um out and about I don't really go to a lot of Hollywood parties because I'm full of a lot of wankers (laughs) I mean I I don't really have to face a lot of these people day to day but if I did you know I meant what I said I wouldn't apologize
0: if they confronted you though in like a green room or something yeah
1: I'd have that chat I'd love to have that chat because Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to cancel anyone I'm not like I, I don't hate anyone. I just want them mm. to stop selling stuff that is dangerous for kids, and I want them to stop like recycling their own trauma around their bodies and putting it out into other people. That's it. That's how I feel about all influencers. And yeah, I do see these people out and about, but I just I think either they're afraid to have that conversation with me, or they don't care because they're greedy and they're just collecting mm. that check. Like whatever it is, I don't care. I'm glad I said it because it's not really about me. Or them. It's not me versus them. It's me just trying to wake everyone else who's watching up mm-hmm. to, to let them know that the market doesn't control you, you control the market. You, all you need is the correct information and then you will make the correct decisions. It's only because we don't tell anyone anything. We don't tell anyone about Photoshop. We don't tell anyone about how social mm-hmm. media works or what's really in these products and how toxic and what the long-term side effects are of them. We don't tell anyone that eating disorders are the number one cause of death amongst any mental illness. So because we don't inform the public, they can't make the correct decisions. I believe people are smart. You just need to give them the right facts in order for them to utilize their autonomy correctly.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's something to be said. I mean, I don't know if you agree with me on this, but outside the greed, outside getting paid, like, do you not think they are as, not victims, but they are, it's perpetuated, isn't it? They're as insecure too, because otherwise they wouldn't do this to themselves, you know, and it's like... Like, behind closed doors, surely they are traumatised and suffering too, don't you think?
1: Exactly. That's what I meant by saying that they recycle mm. their own trauma. Like, they are clearly traumatised by the way that the media influences or, or, like, pressures them. If we just take all other influences aside for a second, let's just mm-hmm. focus on the Kardashians. Have you ever seen a pregnant woman more fat-shamed than the uh, yeah. Kardashian? during yeah, I mean, the pregnancy? Daily Mail,
0: yeah, it's just horrific.
1: I used to be one of their loudest advocates, I was mm-hmm. that one of their loudest, like biggest fans. In fact, I started the I weigh movement in defence of them, right. because they were the first image I saw with numbers written across their bodies, and I was like, "These are these are billionaires."
0: <laughs> I remember that article. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. entrepreneurs. So, yeah,
1: yeah. These are business women. These are you know they've they've done something no other family has ever done before. Let's not reduce them to how much they fucking weigh. Obviously, I had no idea that they were about to start selling corsets and weight loss products, which was <laughs> Good so ironic. Um, yeah, but <laughs> the point is, is that you know, of course, they're traumatized. Look at the way the world has spoken about Chloe. Of course, mm-hmm. she's traumatized, and so that's I, the one they're I most have,
0: awful to. As well. I
1: have so much empathy for them and towards them, and I talk about it whenever I call them out. I'm just like, this is someone who is obsessed with their weight because they've been made obsessed with their weight by the media. And I always try to like inform people of that, that there's a whole story to the Kardashians and not to just hate them. They're not evil. They're clearly mm-hmm. damaged, but also a bit greedy. And mm. when, you know, we are all traumatized. So many of us have trauma. And we all have a choice as to whether or not we are going to perpetuate that cycle of trauma. And us having had bad role models, are we then going to go on and be those bad role models for our generation of kids who are watching us? And so it's like, do you take the check? Or well, do you not mm. take the check? I've been offered weight loss endorsements for 10 or 11 years. I would be a multi, 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 I'd have $10 million. I'm surprised
0: now. they would approach you for that because you're very vocal where you stand with that.
1: You'd be amazed. But also like, I don't think my words traveled, even though I've been speaking out about this shit since I was at least 25, I don't think people were really listening to me or paying attention to me. For example, when I gained all that weight when I was 26, I was on steroids. The, mm-hmm. um, I was offered more money than I've ever seen before to mm-hmm. spon- to do like weight loss sponsored things and right. i got to see the inside of how those fucking things work which was fascinating which is that they want you to take a like a kind of quote unquote humiliating photo of you mm-hmm. looking even bigger than you are running yeah, on the bad beach lighting. like yeah. eyes half open like you're you're running with a hot dog or like a massive like steak or something in the beach with your bikini <laughs> like falling so all true. over the place yeah. and um and then they, they'll use that as the, the first shaming image. And then they'll give you like privates, like personal training, dietitian, everything, but they won't tell the public about that. They'll mm-hmm. just attribute your end goal after photo, which in which you look really skinny and toned to just this one product that they're flogging. It is so fucked. Every time you see a celebrity weight loss story,
0: mm-hmm. please
1: know you are looking at utter bullshit. Mm -hmm. and you have no idea what's really going on behind the scenes and I love telling people the truth and I loved that I got to see an inside of that when I was being offered these deals and I was like no I'm staying fat as long as I fucking can
0: (laughs) also from something else
1: how did we get here with Claudia Winkleman and Professor Tanya Byron In these in-depth, one-on-one therapy sessions, we dig deep into personal stories with fascinating and emotional revelations. A passionate, insightful and moving experience with clear outcomes to each episode. He is as anxious about attachment with you as you are with him. Oh, wow. Oh, wow, that's crazy, isn't it? Oh, that's a weird feeling. Wait, so... God, don't you just feel like, whoa, why didn't I know that all along? Listen now in Apple Podcasts,
0: Spotify and all good podcast apps. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? (laughs) Some peasant Coke? (laughs) No. when I think about you right you really put yourself out there and you don't shy away from anything and actually sometimes people don't get you particularly you know we talked about twitter earlier on twitter you get shamed back by people that have totally missed the mark, right, and then yeah. also we're in quite a dangerous environment at the moment where cancel culture is a thing, particularly for women who make one mistake. It's not like offering to educate them and help them. It's like they're over, their careers over. They're, they're sexist, they're racist, they're homophobic. So every time you do put yourself out there, you risk your professional career, and you could just really carry on with your career and stop all this. Yeah. But how do you feel when people get it completely wrong and, and shame and try to cancel you? Well,
1: because I'm old. Uh, at least, uh, like I've been around a really long time. I've watched this cycle before. You build a woman mm-hmm. up, build a woman up over, like, and then we we love her, we love her, we love her. She's a saint, she's a genius, she's amazing, she's an intellectual, she's our savior. Um, and it's always the same pattern of obsession, obsession with a certain woman, and then mm-hmm. we overexpose her. We write about her so often that people become sick of her, and then that's pr- that means she's primed for the takedown. So it's a cycle a of like. Woman. Yeah, it's a cycle of, like, a year. As soon as a woman steps out or sticks out in any way, even if she's just winning an award, even if she's Anne Hathaway on a great award run, like, that's it. We'll build her up, build her up, build her up, rip her down. Um, But Meghan Markle was the number one case of this. If everyone was so obsessed, so obsessed, so obsessed, then Mm -hmm. they get engaged. You could see it.
0: You knew it was going to happen. You could tell.
1: Of course you do. Well, we've been in this business long enough to know that that is just the, the pattern. So when I was on my, like, Second come up, you know, where I kind of had this renaissance of my career, and suddenly I came to America and started all over again. Uh, when they were saying that, oh, she's the feminist hero we need, or she's a great intellectual, I was like, mm, I left school at sixteen, so I don't know what the fuck you're <laughs> talking about. And also, oh, this is going to be shit because I know what this is. I know that mm-hmm. I'm being. This is the. Uh, this is. This is me being. Pushed up onto a pedestal that's actually just a slide that goes mm-hmm. straight down into a bin of shit, um, yeah. and so I—it was—it's not too traumatic for me. I expect that as a woman who speaks out, I threaten the patriarchy, I threaten a multi-multi-billion-dollar industry—the diet industry. Of course, there are people out there planting lies and smear campaigns about me. Mm-hmm. I'm also very outspoken about abortion rights.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I'm, of course, they need to silence me, and they're not allowed to kill us anymore like they used to not that Mm -hmm. long ago. Uh, We can't just go missing. Uh, They have to kill our credibility and our reputation. So discredit is the new death. And if you look back, you really think about all the times, all the women that you don't like in this industry. Think about why. There might be a real reason, but are you basing this off an interview that she gave in which the interviewer 100% 100% stitched her the fuck up because that happens yeah. to me all the time. Uh, or, strategic,
0: yeah.
1: Or is it the way that she's written about? Is it like a source says that she's a diva? You know, all mm-hmm. of these different classic tropes. I really have started to look into every woman that I'm like, I mm, don't really like her, I don't know why. And just thought, where did that come from? Who poisoned me? What? How did the framing of this woman in the media's eye frame her? And do I hate her because I've been poisoned by these toxic lies and mm-hmm. having been you on the receiving exactly and being yeah. and being on the receiving end of having all of my words twisted taken out of context having female journalists completely obliterate everything i've said in an interview and craft it to make me look like as much of a knob and as much of a mm-hmm. conceited conceited like ignorant asshole as possible ha- now i know what it feels like to have everything you do and say twisted and taken out of context i now have so much more sympathy to all of the women that i've ever raised an eyebrow at in the past. Well,
0: yeah, because you understand. Now, uh-huh. Do you think then you're uncancelable? We are
1: all uncancellable, or at least m- m- most of us are. Women... OK, let me just think about this. So, cancel culture is a really important but nuanced conversation. Actual mm-hmm. cancellation almost never happens, and it sure as shit doesn't happen to privileged people. Unprivileged mm-hmm. people are the ones who get cancelled. They actually lose their jobs. They actually mm-hmm. lose their housing and become homeless. Privileged people are normally so used to being just glorified and adored and worshipped for every single thing they do or say, like a round of applause for every queef that they can pull out or fart. Like They're not, they're not used to pe- people ever criticising them. So when they get called out, they think that's them being cancelled. It's like no yeah. one is deplatforming you. To be cancelled means you're having your job taken away, your rights taken away, your voice mm-hmm. taken away, your you're money gone. taken yeah. away, you're gone. Mm-hmm. That rarely happens if you really look at all the people who've been quote-unquote cancelled, it's like, who Mm -hmm. the fuck's going to cancel J.K. Rowling? She's a billionaire. She -hmm. can start her own publishing company if she wants to.
0: It's not relevant to her. No.
1: And everyone, you know, I think people thought that they'd cancelled me in February because this fucking weird rumour started that I have Munchausen and I've lied about cancer and I've lied about Mm -hmm. being queer and and I've, you know, contributed to the death of Caroline Flack, which I had nothing to do with and I adored her (laughs) we -hmm. just had one spat on twitter for five minutes a year ago Mm -hmm. um people think i was cancelled but i wasn't all my shows got picked up i've just landed a campaign like i've still got my podcast there is an element of choosing to cancel yourself and Mm -hmm. women way more often than men take that option. So, you know, there's yeah. been a kind of big clear out this year of like everyone finding out how racist or misogynist or problematic a lot of massive companies are. Mm-hmm. If you look at it statistically, it's almost exclusively women CEOs who've stepped down.
0: Mm-hmm men it's a whole different ego thing and it's just a yeah it's a completely different mindset for women i think and we're so used to bowing out anyway so exactly and and women choose to step back it's like when we get shamed sometimes we just think oh my god well then you know they
1: all want me to leave so i should just leave no don't leave just get better Mm -hmm. do better Mm
0: -hmm. yeah people are allowed to learn and move on and improve and
1: and I never you had t- it's gone,
0: no gone. You talked about Caroline there, and you know what her yeah. legacy was was leaving that kind of be kind thing. And you've done all this work. Like, do you think people are being kind? Do you think the work you've done, like, have you seen an improvement? Like, so it, like you said, over a million followers in your account. And I remember when you first started it, there wouldn't be a day that didn't go by where I wouldn't see a member of the public doing your I weigh thing. So mm-hmm. it feels like it's touched enough people, and you see the be kind hashtag everywhere. Like, has it had a positive change?
1: I don't know. Like I wasn't really part of the be kind movement because I, I guess my particular movement, I believe kindness is obviously important, but I also think some people need to be held to task. And I think be kind can be used to stop people from criticizing each other. Mm-hmm. So for, I'd say my particular movement is
0: be better. I, Do you think I, be kind is bad again? Do you think it's like stopping no, that freedom of speech then? I, I don't think it's stopping that freedom of speech. I think kindness is always an
1: important quality, but I don't think we've seen that post Caroline. I mean, post Caroline, everyone piled on to me that same week.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, and hard. then they miss that irony. They completely miss that irony of people were telling me to kill myself. And where do you go? Do you go to a bad place when you get this?
1: I I went to a bad place over the Caroline thing and also the Munchausens thing because when you've been sick your whole life and you've been in pain mm-hmm. your whole life every day since I was born I've been in pain I go to bed swollen every night of my life um, all over my body uh, mm-hmm. it's very very hard to be gaslit on a global scale
0: <laughs> oh, to dismiss your whole experience like that. It's so damaging like it's, it does you've feel... suffered like yeah. It was, it I mean, was, that's like being told you weren't raped when you were raped, you know. Cause... And Exactly. And,
1: you know, I've, I have I remember being doubted uh, over child abuse allegations. Like when I, you know, I finally told a family member that I'd been abused as a child and the men in the family refused to believe me. The women did, the men didn't. And it mm-hmm. felt exactly the same. It re-triggered that exact feeling of being mm-hmm. a kid telling someone that I'd been abused and not being mm-hmm. heard over it. Um, and being laughed at and mocked or blamed somehow for it, you know. And so that was hard. I think I'm, I'm absolutely fine. I'm weirdly fine with being called out, criticized for things that I've done. But it is, it's a very hard, hard pill to swallow, being criticized for things that you haven't done. But again, that's the system. Because they haven't got enough actual shit on me, they have to make shit up to try to destroy yeah. me and try mm-hmm. to embarrass me so that I will kill my own career. They want mm-hmm. me to step back and be like, OK, I guess I should leave social media then. And I guess mm-hmm. I shouldn't be on this TV show because it'll annoy everyone. And maybe I should just stop acting and just go. Um, yeah.
0: No, <laughs>
1: that, that would be out...
0: perfect for some people. Though. That would be the thing that would sell the magazines and the story to tell. And it would be like New Year's Eve for the diet industry. <laughs> I'm not <fucking> going anywhere. <laughs> Look,
1: I have a lot to learn and I'm not afraid of learning it. I'm not afraid of learning it publicly. And that's mm. everything I stand for as a kind of anti-celebrity.
0: Well, I said in the intro about you—you you know, self-proclaimed feminist in training, um, and training—and you do come across as being open about making mistakes. You hold your hands up, um, and you're an advocate for self-improvement. Do you do you live with any regrets?
1: Uh, yeah, of course. Like the, my regrets are, like, for example, when I was slut shamey like eight years ago or ten years ago, whenever that was. Massively regret that because I contributed to patriarchy. I contributed to misogyny. I think what I was angry about, and I still wish this would change, is that I felt like why are we having to be the ones in the uncomfortable lingerie doing all of the dancing, like fucking balancing mm-hmm. on one leg, uh, when a man is just sitting there watching us wearing outdoor winter layers doing nothing? I was like, what message does that send out to the world? This is why men are so bad at shagging because they don't have any <laughs> messaging that they're supposed to try. Why, yeah. why? Why am I not seeing some balls? Give me some shaft. You know, like I want to see that on the TV. Why are we always? <laughs> Doing all of the hard labor in being the sexy ones. Like, why are, mm-hmm. are there? Why is there not more visuals of men pleasuring or seeking out our,
0: you know, approval? Well, this is the whole thing at the moment with Cardi B's new video and everyone yeah. being so shocked and 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 it's like, but it's always been this way for guys. Guys have always sung about this. Oh, so exactly. It's always made music videos like this. Why are you short? So what? We're doing it too.
1: But also, that song is so fucking great and empowering and so like. <laughs> normalising of so many things to do with women's sex. I think that song is great. I love that song. Um, But... I used to take it so far with my slut-shaminess and I really, really, I'm so embarrassed when I read back the things that I used to say and I really thought I was a feminist
0: and I just didn't know that. Well, you remember like years ago, you're you're told not to get drunk, you're told not to walk home in your own, you're told mm-hmm. not to dress a certain way, to avoid any of these things and it's just such a skewed, messed up messaging to, even in school, that was the lessons, you know?
1: Yeah, it puts all the onus on us and I contributed to putting all the onus on women, so I have more than apologised for that. Uh, but that's probably one of my biggest regrets, and just also any time I've ever misinformed anyone or hurt people's feelings, I think that sucks. But those are my only regrets. Is always around hurting other people's feelings, namely women. I hate. Well, I feel women. I feel
0: like you're doing your bit to make up for it now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's okay. Yeah. And one of the great things you're doing is your podcast. Um, it's it's called I Way the podcast, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what have I mean before when we were just logging into the chat you were talking about you know one of the great things is it's it's an opportunity to educate yourself and learn Mm -hmm. what have you learned from the podcast? God I've learned so much about loneliness so much
1: about mental health I've learned so much that you know I I interview quite a wide variety of people um, and some of them are very famous you know Famous women and then some people are experts and scientists. And I've learned so much about gender and the history of gender norms and why people are so transphobic and how ridiculous that is. Um, But also hearing such famous icons, you know, women who have been so famous for like 20, 30, 40 years, like Reese Witherspoon or Demi Lovato, Deborah Messing, coming onto my podcast and talking about having the same mental health issues that all of my mates or all the people i know and just all people who live in you know regular industries etc who work mm. in regular industries they're going through the same thing as others they are struggling to cope in the same way is such and also them giving me the behind the scenes of what hollywood was like when mm. they were coming up so i can understand mm-hmm. i can educate my 13 year old self that nothing she saw was real and that they were having eating disorders and they were struggling and they had anxiety and depression I think Mm -hmm. that hearing, just normalising and humanising celebrities and realising that, oh, these people who seem like they have their shit together are just as fucked as the rest of us.
0: That has been very healing. Uh, It's interesting, right, because it's easy to forget how old you are because, like, 34 is young, even though your industry would tell you 34 is old, not for a man, but for a woman. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And, like, in a way, like, your life experience and all the things you've done in that time, you could be, like, 50, yeah um, so achieving this much by this age what is is that a positive thing does it leave you unsatisfied? like do you still have aspirations and and if so, what are they?
1: I have no idea what my aspirations are because i and I never have <laughs> like i haven't, yeah, true. I, haven't, I haven't had an aspiration since I was seventeen other than that I want to help people and just make people aware of all the things that I wasn't aware of when I was a kid that would have helped my mental health. So that's my main goal is that if I can just continue to educate, if I can create a syllabus for schools around the world uh, where, you know, because I think schools just don't have the right conversations with kids and parents are a shit don't. And it's the first generation where the kids are ahead of the parents and what they know because they have access to the Internet and parents just don't know what their kids are looking at. And so, you know, it's the first time ever that they're not learning steps of the world from their elders it's very much so the other way around and Mm. so therefore we need to get ahead of this and get into the schools and so I'm working on a a syllabus that would have conversations around gender sexuality consent body image media and and just kind of media literacy so you can understand what you're seeing what the messaging is what the actual Mm -hmm. photo would look like Um, I think if we could educate kids then we would arm them to be so much stronger and Mm -hmm sturdier in this world you know they just don't know any better currently
0: it's interesting because i've got one final question for you one real thing that i want to know about you is you know you talked about only earlier this year going into a bad place after and being criticized around caroline and everything like that mm-hmm. you talked about being on those shoots and the skirt spitting and being in a good place because of i way and and everything you've done outside acting has been to help other people because you've had a rough time yourself yeah um but I really want to know, like, how are you now? Like, because you've helped so many people and you've had so much, so much sort of, it's a thankless task in some ways. Yeah. And I just wondered, like, present day, sat here now talking to me, like, how are you? Where are you at?
1: Uh, I'm all right. Um, I February and March were really stressful Uh, and sort of just make, made me feel really unsafe for a minute. But now I'm, mm. but now it's kind of charged me to go even harder So it backfired on them. And uh, and now I feel more motivated than ever because I've I've just been in the middle of so many systems of seeing how the patriarchy of media treats women. And the one thing I'd never gone through was a global scandal and a global smear campaign. And now that I've been Mm. through that and survived it, now I'm just like, all right, let's fucking have it. (laughs) Um, So I feel good at the moment. You know, I'm, mental health is a journey it's not a destination I think you know because life Mm. keeps throwing all kinds of shit in your way but I think this year has been very sobering and a year of immense gratitude and also a year of rest finally because I've been working non-stop for what feels Mm -hmm. like 11 years and to have this time at home with my dog and with my boyfriend and with my mates who live with me Um, Mm. we live in a sort of frat house. (laughs) Um, Sounds fun. Yeah it's all these boys that I met when I was 19 and I used to go to like XFM nights with and we're still they're still my best mates they live with me in Los Angeles Um, (laughs) but uh, it's just good because they keep me grounded and they all think I'm a dick Um, (laughs) and they've never watched or heard anything I've ever done Um, so I feel all right yeah I feel I feel as though I just, there's a lot to do. The world is fucked. California is on fire. There are 300 fires here at the moment, 30 of which are really mm. serious. There was a fire NATO, which sounds like a shit B movie. Uh, <laughs> but it's really happening and, and, you know, there's just chaos all around me. So it's a time of kind of focusing outside of myself, really. Um, but I, yeah, I'm all right. I am. I wasn't all right in February, but I'm all right now.
0: So it's been been an eventful year for you, to say the least. I I said that was the last question, but actually just one more question I want to know, right? Do you think we'll ever be rid of shame, particularly shame, shame to women?
1: I do. I just think we need to teach people how to identify the enemy. We don't yet know as a whole what the enemy is, what it looks like and how it moves Mm -hmm. and how it works. I think I'm starting to understand. Mm -hmm. And so I'm currently writing a book about it.
0: Uh, oh, wicked. Okay. At the moment. When's that out? Oh, maybe
1: next year. It depends. I'm really slow and easily distracted. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also writing a book, as I'm sure you know, it can be quite traumatic.
0: Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. So
1: yeah, so I'm, um, I'm working on that at the moment. But I think if we can find a way to en masse identify the enemy, how the patriarchy works, what it looks like, how it moves, then it would completely radicalise women. If you look at how fast, like, not to brag, but I'm going to brag. Harvard came out and said that I was more effective than the FDA at educating a generation about the impact wow. of eating disorders and diet products, mm-hmm. right? I could believe so, that, though, yeah. So that's one woman. If if more women in my position with more mm-hmm. power and influence and money than me even mm-hmm. would get on board and start telling the fucking truth, if I've been able climate. to if, – if little old me – from london mm-hmm. has been able to <laughs> to educate so many people within a generation and i'm not even that smart i'm not an intellectual i'm not educated like as in, i'm not that i don't have
0: mm-hmm.
1: experts all around me i just told the truth yeah. if we would all participate in that we could change the entire generation's mind rather than perpetuating it which most of my peers do
0: do you know what the title of the podcast is extraordinary people and you are so extraordinary like i could talk to you for hours but we probably shouldn't do that (laughs) um and i I just want to thank you for everything you do because i i I know you know what you do but i don't think you know everything you do and i think you're amazing so thank Uh, you
1: thank you well you know the feeling is more than mutual and thank you for having me
0: thanks for listening to Casey piper's extraordinary people If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed this, please help us spread the word. Rate and review the show where you got this or share on socials.